2: Welcome to another episode of High Resolution. I'm Seamus Byrne. Thank you for joining us. This is kind of a special episode. We're responding to the latest episode of Four Corners that aired on the ABC here in Australia uh, on Monday night. Uh, there was also an online article version that sort of covered the discussion as well. Uh, we Basically had a lot of mixed feelings about it. There's some really interesting stuff in there. There's some stuff that plenty of people want to argue about. Um, it's always interesting when these discussions come up in mainstream media. And I guess when there's a little bit, potentially a little bit more nuance than usual in there, which makes it worth responding to in, in I think, this kind of format. So joining me today, uh, I have uh, Stephen Farrelly. He is the editor of Oz Gamers dot com is it just dot com steve
3: always dot com
2: yeah that's right it's it's got enough oz in it it doesn't need a dot com correct oz gamers and then we also have junglist jeremy ray uh another prominent freelancer across the industry also former editor of uh, fandom lots of other awesome outlets uh, a regular on kotaku over many many years as well uh jeremy thanks for stopping by too no worries thanks for having me um So look, we're also live via Twitter Spaces. We thought it'd be an interesting option uh, that we'll kind of talk a little bit about our thoughts and feelings about the episode. Uh, There's probably a few key points that we want to sort of cover off a little bit. And then um, I'll be interested to see if there's anybody watching along via Spaces that might want to share a few thoughts too. um, And we'll, yeah, look to open it up there. If not, we'll just keep talking. That's just the easy way to do it. Um, Is that a threat? <laughs> <laughs> always, always. Um, yeah, let's open this thing up. Um, I'll kind of, you know, throw the floor to you guys first because uh, I talk enough on this podcast uh, on a regular basis. Um, Steve, let's kick off with you. you know, early yesterday, you know, they posted the the web version of the article, which was kind of a summarized take on what we were going to see in the show. They built a very elaborate web page that sort of had a bit of a, a faux interactive element that was trying to, you know, suggest what some of the issues are with the way games, you know, hook people these days. I think the whole title of it was Hooked uh, and, you know, you responded forcefully to, to that uh, online version and then, it, you know, it triggered plenty of debate through, through yesterday about these discussions and then obviously last night we got to see the actual episode so let's you know let's start with you your your thoughts i guess from daytime yesterday and then uh, having then seen the episode uh, you know what are your sort of quick initial thoughts
3: yeah so um, first a bit of credit to jung um, for calling out uh, the defense mechanism that does come with um, with this job Uh, i did probably go to the defense of the games industry uh, upon reading that article in the first place and I sort of still stand by that because I think the way that they've structured how they've delivered both of these parts of the same argument is, is still quite broken. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the way that the article itself was framed. Um, It's out of alignment with what actually was presented on the show anyway. Um, And we can talk about the structure of the show in a little bit, but I, I I'm still not a fan of the way that that article presented itself. And part of my reasoning behind, um, I guess trying to pull it apart a little bit was that we've been down this road before, and we've seen this movie before uh, where games are concerned. And it's always really a struggle for us when mainstream tries to bite into games because games are ubiquitous now. It's, it's such a, a, a catch all, but that's the problem because there's so many disparate moving parts in games that trying to, to find an an avenue of of conversation and discussion that's topical and and has like debate ready to go um, while placating everybody is never going to work. It's always going to be a problematic exercise. And it just read to me from that article initially that they were kind of reaching in different areas to try and find a tangible line of conversation that just never landed for me. So that, that was why I responded the way that I did.
2: Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, well, look, yeah, let's start to you as well, Jeremy. Um, again, yeah, I know you did sort of chime in during a bit of that debate during the day yesterday, and then perhaps then we'll, you know, then dig into a bit more on the specifics and how and how I guess the airing. You know, for me, it did feel quite different to the article itself. But what were some of those initial thoughts when you saw that defensiveness?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, like, like I guess the defensiveness. I think it was not only coming from the years and years that we've had from fending off spurious attacks against the games industry and the several different kinds of fights that we've had as an industry over the years. Uh, You know, we do do have that honed defense mechanism and it's almost muscle memory at this point, but it's also coming from that, question call out that uh, submission thing that they had a couple of months ago, where the questions they were asking were kind of cause for concern. And I could definitely understand that. But as soon as I saw the article, I felt like it was going in the right direction. And I actually thought that the article was a pretty good summary of uh, the piece. And um, the piece, once I saw the piece, I was actually a lot happier. I thought that, um, you know, after, like, as we said, after years of fending off these spurious attacks. I'm just so happy that we're actually in the right arena now. Like the discussion is in the right space. And this is exactly the type of thing that we need to be talking about rather than just like wasting time uh, from these other media outlets um, who are a bit cynical and sensational and uh, putting forward claims that violent games make kids into sociopaths and stuff like that. Like instead of wasting our time with that kind of stuff, we're actually in a space where there are issues that we need to talk about. So I'm personally very happy about that, that we're in that arena. And uh, I'm happy that it didn't just focus on loot boxes. I mean, uh, I I think probably a lot of the submissions that they received were about loot boxes. But I mean, even before loot boxes existed and even before microtransactions existed, uh, you know, I've been on record as um, being unhappy with some of the unethical systems that games used, uh, strategic manipulative reward schedules and things like that. So uh, I think you know even if this doesn't result in more legislation or more regulation, uh, I mean, I personally hope it does, and I personally think that's coming, but even if it doesn't, it still has value because the more people learn about these tricks, uh, the less power the tricks have
2: yeah i mean yeah i'll I'll just start my two cents with it i I felt like you know I certainly reading the article yesterday i I was worried at the time that I'm like, oh, if this is the the approach of the the piece we're going to watch on TV, it felt like there were a lot of sensational elements in there. In And I totally get it as well. In a mainstream context, people, they try to push a few extra buttons. Um, but that's part of the frustration because you're like, you know, there's a lot of nuance here. Um, but then once I kind of watched the episode, I did feel you know, a lot more confident in the way it had been handled. There's so much to nitpick and I'm actually quite keen to nitpick some of it in the name of sort of reflecting on sort of you know, aspects that weren't that great. Um, but I even found that by not live tweeting it, like I kind of just made myself, I took a few notes along the way, but instead of trying to react in real time, I tried to sort of sit back and try to look at what's what's the overall picture of the 45 minutes of this show giving me, on the way this has been approached. And in that sense, it's like, yeah, there were lots of moments where I had that moment. where I'm like going, Oh, that's <laughs> like, I hate that argument. Or that's as, you know, that was heard that 50 times, blah, blah, blah. Um, that I certainly felt like once we got into the back half of the episode, that it got really strong in some of the way it presented it.
4: Yeah. I felt like it got better as it went along. Like, and, and I can kind of forgive them for focusing on the human element a little bit because uh, you know, it's it's sort of, it's, I mean, they almost teach it in journalism school, don't they? It's, it's something that journalists do. It's like, we we all write, we've all covered things. We we kind of know how it goes. It's something you do to keep the audience interested. Um, so, you know, while like, I'm totally happy to sit through a university lecture about, you know, gambling systems and games, and I have, and I could probably <laughs> give a few, um, but, uh, you know, most people aren't. So I uh, You know, it's, it's a problem I had recently with Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers too. Like it focused a little bit too much on the human element um, to the, uh, to the detriment of like getting across the data. Um, So I I totally get that. But I think, you know, the question that we should be asking is um, did the opinions given by those people reflect the sentiment of the academic community, the public and the industry uh, to which the answer for me is mostly yes. You guys might disagree. Um, we can certainly chat about that. I, I would say mostly yes, with with a few exceptions, like the gaming disorder and stuff like that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel um, a little bit on side with you guys here, but I also think that we're still looking at it through, I guess, a more educated lens. And a lot of the people that we chimed into Four Corners last night uh, might have a passing interest in games or the popularity and growth of games or what it means to to uh, trick people in in games, which is sort of one of the hooks that they were really playing with. Um, and those human stories are really important, but I felt that they lost a little bit until they got to the tail end, as we just sort of have both alluded to. Us, all three of us now have alluded to. But, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't think that the show gave a clear direction until we got about the halfway point, because they were talking about addiction and then the disorder and like skirting around the loot box stuff and buying in and the tricks. And then it just didn't really have a place to land. And I feel like a lot of that, and we're all writers. We've been in this, in this world before where you get enough moving parts from like an interview here and an opinion there, and you try and correlate a story out of those. So you're, you're building a narrative based on the, like the tools that you've got in front of you. And that felt like they just had what they were capable of getting and put it together as best that they possibly could. But I don't think it came across as professionally as it as it could have.
4: Well, they probably had like more than they knew what to do with, right? Like yeah. they probably had so many examples of so many different things, which was why it was a little bit scattershot and a bit all over the place. And again, I'm, I'm glad that it did more than loot boxes. Um, but I can see how some people felt like it was conflating certain issues, like sort of yeah. presenting many things as one.
2: Yeah, look, I think that's one of the areas that I'm, you know, keen to dig into a little bit now. There's, and I've I've actually just spotted a, a tweet, which is
4: I think really quite relevant. So, are you checking Twitter while you're talking to us, Seamus? So, no, I are you reading Twitter?
2: <laughs> I, no, I am as well. I kept the uh, I kept a Four Corners uh, column open on my tweet deck, and All right. I was just kind of skimming back because I like overall. I thought in some of the academic reactions, um, I, I think I saw a lot of people sort of in broad agreement. Again, it was that same idea of going, yeah, like there's a lot of things to take issue with, but big picture, um, it was presented quite well. Um but I noticed that uh Dr. Celia Hodent, who was on the show, um, has tweeted a thread where Essentially, she kind of is looking at the ways that she felt like the episode misrepresented some of what she was saying, as well as some other uh, angles. But the first tweet is just great. So I'll just read it out where she said, quote, psychological tricks are used everywhere all the time. Ironically, the title of your documentary, Are You Being Played?, is literally a psych trick. It's called a (laughs) leading question, and it influences people to think about a topic in a specific way. (laughs) And then she kind of goes into a thread. Um, But that's something that actually in our own chat here at home afterwards with my wife, that she was sort of talking about that idea of saying we kind of like that, you know, she felt like the lesson for her in so many ways was these tricks are attached to every aspect of digital technology. Now that like, this is, this is the same as the Facebook news feed. It's the same as like, and that again, we, you can't just answer this by saying, you know, oh, well, we just need broad based uh, digital lit- literacy lessons and all that kind of thing. Um, but there's definitely a much broader question at play. And then the other part of me feels like, I want to say that doesn't mean we can't, you know, call out the thing we love in certain yeah. respects and say... It doesn't absolve the gaming Yeah, Games can at be all. better, just as Facebook should be a lot better, just as exactly. like, you know, there's so many of those kind of layers to it.
4: Yeah, I've seen a little bit of that, like, but they're doing it, you know, like Facebook's doing it, and that doesn't absolve the gaming industry. It just means they're doing bad things too. And I've also seen... Uh, you know, that arguments saying that gaming companies are complying with regulation, but that's conflating legality with morality. Like we, we still need to do better. And also regulation is coming. Like it's been coming for a while, which, you know, I think some of the reaction to this has been putting people's heads in the sand and just hoping it'll go away. It's not going to happen. This is going to get more intense. Uh, more governments around the world are going to be talking about it. Media is going to be talking about it. So I'm actually happy that this is a really good first step. Like we're kind of talking about the right things uh in a positive way i think like you know by and large the abc has given gaming great coverage you know over the years they've covered the positives of gaming a lot uh but this one piece was about the negatives of gaming and i think uh that's okay so you know loot box uh people who've been talking about loot boxes for quite a while we've been we've been calling it for years now we've been saying (laughs) regulations (laughs) coming so we need to get ready for it and we need to get ahead of it
3: yeah um I think uh, Dr. James Sal was quite good um, and he was one of the ones that brought up the regulations that happen in different countries. I just wanted to put mm. it to you guys where you thought um, we should sort of be heading. Um, I thought that the the China example was a really good one, which was um, revealing any odds involved in, in I guess, purchase of a loot box style system. Um, other people have talked about just a, a straight up uh battle pass which includes all any and all kind of rewarded loot boxes and things like that um or just a basic regulatory system that says like anything that you get in a loot box can't have any impact on progression in a game like how do we how do do you guys think that we should approach it
4: well i personally think it should be regulated as gambling which i know is like some people view it as radical i think you know if we if we look at our moral compass. It's, it's actually not that radical. I think we accept as a society that gambling addiction exists, which is a behavioral addiction. It's not that big of a leap to say that gaming addiction is a very similar behavioral addiction. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's a, a, a five to 10% uh, section of the population who is a little bit vulnerable to this. And it doesn't, you know, when you throw kids into the mix, it becomes a little more clear cut. Um, but I think, you know, at the very least, like a warning label type of thing, because when we talk about addiction, you know people use the argument like, oh, well, they, they might've had something going on to begin with. Um, that's true. But I mean, that's the same with like almost every addiction. Like they, you, you might have, you might be going through a rough time and then you you get start gambling, or you might be going through a rough time and that's how you got into drugs or some other kind of destructive activity. So then right. if that activity is then addictive without you even knowing that it's addictive, then it becomes much more destructive and it becomes much more of a cycle. So that's that's the situation that a lot of people are in right now when they pick up a game and they don't, Know about, like, you know, you, us three in this conversation, could probably look at a game trailer and, and know what kind of systems are under the hood. Uh, that's not the same for every gamer. So, um, you know, if, like, I, even though it would take probably a certain degree of education, like having some kind of warning label or regu- regulation saying that this relies a little bit too much on extrinsic rewards or uh, manipulating, uh, m- manipulative reward schedules and stuff like that. Um, you know, those are terms that not a lot of people understand. I, I get that. Uh, so it would require some education. But those to me are actually more worrying than things like violence.
3: But are you talking about buy-in options? So, like, if you're buying in-game currency to purchase, like, in-game loot boxes, or are we talking about participation rewards? So if you're playing a round of Overwatch and at the end of that round you've earned three loot boxes and those come with cosmetics, like, at what yeah. point do we... I think
4: I think the aesthetics of a loot box are as important as the mechanics of a loot box, which is to say the aesthetics of gambling are as important as the mechanics of gambling. So uh, even if you're not paying money for the loot box, even if you've just spent time as opposed to money, uh, I still think that's gambling, and I still think that comes with a warning label for me.
2: I mean, look here's a you know here's a good counter example. There is that feeling of I remember when Hearthstone first launched, right? And it was sort of the first digitized card game that 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 sense of opening a pack in the video game felt as exciting as like opening a a real pack of like magic cards because they kind of you know animated the the feeling. Whereas I remembered seeing other digital card games that it was just kind of like blip 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 like there's your cards. And it was like, oh that's that's boring. Like <laughs> um so it was cool that it was like, oh, there's that moment of anticipation in much the same way that you have that moment of anticipation buying a, an actual pack of Magic cards.
4: Yeah, they've gotten really good at that. Peggle did wonders for the the celebration. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but, but part of me is like, well, yeah, so in a lot of respects, it's like that that fits into the sort of that gambling sense of because you don't know, am I going to get a Legendary, am I going to get whatever else? But that is exactly the same as buying a packet of Magic cards. It's and, not.
4: That's mm-hmm. not at all. I'm sorry. i got to push back.
2: See, but when it's... I open a pack of Magic cards, I don't know if I'm going to get a Mythic Rare or if I'm going to get something that these days has literal real-world value that I could sell immediately. So, yeah. like, but no, I mean, like, it, I'd love your thought on that.
3: Yeah, yeah. The economy around cards right now is a really good topic to to launch this on from, like, a side-by-side comparative perspective.
2: And, yeah, and look, and I still totally come back to the idea of it doesn't absolve games in, in any way. But I find, like, that for me in my head was like, oh, it it created that moment that felt like the cards. But of course, it's obviously more easily accessible and I can kind of bust those out in my pocket anytime I want to um, without having to go to a shop to get it. But like, yeah, what, what's your thought on why it, it is different there?
4: I could rattle off several reasons why loot box are not the same as trading cards or Kinder Surprise. Um, I think like at the moment that you open a pack, that's, you know, it's a little bit, it feels random on the consumer's end. Of course, it's not on the, Uh, In the case of Magic cards, it's not random from the company's point of view. They printed these off a long time ago and they sent them out. (laughs) They know the odds and the odds are relatively fixed for a certain period of time. Uh, But from the consumer's point of view, it's random at the moment that they they open the pack and you get that feeling. And then that's the moment where it stops. Uh, With uh, loot boxes, you don't own the items that you get. Um, you have the rights to use those items in the game. You know, if the server goes down, if you get banned or something else happens, uh, maybe they change the game and the item that you got becomes useless. Uh, These are things that you don't control um, and your items might disappear as opposed to magic cards. These can be traded again. They can be sold. Uh, You more or less know what you're getting from like uh, a magic card or a Kinder Surprise. Like you know that they will be useful. It'll be a toy that you can play with or in a magic deck, like, there are several different ways that you can construct a magic deck. So it will kind of always be useful, whereas if you look at something like Apex Legends and the amount of things that you can get, like, it's mostly crap, and then a couple of things (laughs) that you might want. Like, there's gun skins, there's hero skins, there's crafting materials, which you can use to create other things, and then there's, like, five more categories of crap that you don't actually want.
3: Yeah, and that's that's not every game.
4: No, yeah, every loot box is different, but there are sort sort of, like... Um, by and large reasons that they're different. Like, um, you know, the aesthetics of gambling are still very much a part uh, of loot boxes, which is not so much the case in Magic Gathering cards. You have optimized reward schedules. It's easier to create feelings of like almost getting something, of being due, uh, denying closure. You can try to create like a sunk cost fallacy within the player. You can't do that with trading cards. Uh, Trading cards in an academic sense are, they're not actually random. They're not like an RNG system at the point of sale uh, which is deciding what you get uh, and then those numbers being changed uh, over time like that can actually be changed after you get the item right like the attributes of the item that you get uh, the rarity of the item that you get can change after you get yeah. it
2: um, so yeah there's many point. many differences there I mean one thing that leaps to mind as you describe that is you know if I go and buy a full booster box of magic I kind of like most friends I know who go and buy magic cards that way kind of know that it is a level of an investment where it's like, it's a couple of hundred bucks, but actually within a standard booster box, there's going to be at least a handful of cards that basically make up the value of the box. Um, And again, because it's like the way they print and package those things, they even know what they're putting into every box that gets shipped out. And and anyway, look, uh, that's a good point, but I think I just want to come back to the show again. I think one of the things that I liked at the very start, and then I think we can get into a, a bit more nitpicking, but I liked the fact that very quickly, as much as, again, I thought the first half was the weakest half of the show, um, I liked the fact that they were actually foregrounding pretty early on that they were going to be focusing on adults who had had problems with games. Mm. And we know that through this history of these debates that it has almost always been about what are we letting our kids have access to when in so many regards, you kind of look at it and go, why aren't the parents parenting? They shouldn't be playing that game in the first place. You know, why is this 12-year-old playing GTA? Or like whatever it might be, um, that it's like a parent has chosen to let a video game babysit their child for them and like all the issues that might be attached to that. Um, this pretty early on showed, you know, a daughter talking about the fact that she was putting the other kids to bed because the mum was playing you know, an MMO at such a kind of you know high degree of commitment that she wasn't necessarily you know all that present in that sort of day to day sense. And I, at the, exactly the same time, felt like oh, we're going down the addiction hole again right at the start, rather than sort of this being about what I hoped the focus was going to be about, um, which was the microtransaction type stuff because I think that's where the strength really lies. But At the very least, I kind of liked that pretty early on I felt like we're at least getting a different approach here where it was about, um, you know, a family context for a parent being a little bit too into a game. Um, While also in that first phase, I felt like by trying to be a bit relaxed about how I was watching it and not just jump at the bit immediately i was like there was a good amount of the the jackson family how they game together after dinner how they sort of you know that they did have varying types of positive relationships with games um and then it sort of started digging into the fact that there was a while when the mother was way too into one particular game but even then when they talked about the fact that she had that like 24-hour game session and they really kind of focused in on that um even my wife watching along she was like she just seems bloody organized. (laughs) Like she has planned (laughs) ahead. It's like she's gone camping for a weekend. You know, she has planned around it. She's made sure everything is in place so that she can go. And, you know, and I had that vibe of going, that's kind of like day one of like a new expansion of World of Warcraft for me or something where I go, yeah, I want to be able to really enjoy that opening moment of a new part of the game that I love. Um, So there were elements there I'm like, you know, there's issues of how it gets framed or certain language choices in that moment. But in the broader sense, I was pleased that it, it pretty quickly didn't feel like it was exactly the same as every other, even when some of the music cues and the B roll choices and things, I'm like,
4: oh, here we go. <laughs> the evil music.
3: Yeah. Yeah, she actually um, made it yeah. sound
4: kind of fun, didn't she? <laughs> like well, take, taking on the giant octopus. Like it actually <laughs> sounded kind of great.
3: Well that was a thing. And I think um I think you're right to bring that up, Seamus, in that I felt that the opening um, sequence and, and featuring that family in particular was, it was, they were almost a linchpin for the entirety of the episode because you had the aspirational daughter that wants to be a streamer. You've got the, the younger boy who watches YouTube YouTubers and desperately wants something that he can't afford, which comes into yeah. microtransactions. And then you've got the, the mother that is borderline addicted, but, and, and while that was, um, that could could facilitate the i guess the narrative direction of the negatives involved overall um the way that that entire household was set up and the fact that they celebrated gaming so much and that it was so supportive in the house kind of got lost in the counter argument and i didn't think that it balanced itself well enough so they were not just a linchpin but they were kind of like this moving metaphor for what they got right and what they didn't get right like across the whole thing and that's where i got confused with the article as well, because the article did the exact same thing with that exact same family. And those, and a handful of those quotes taken really out of context when married up against the actual outlay of the show. But um, like, I'm so glad that she took down that octopus and I felt <laughs> yeah. her energy. um, yeah. And I felt the energy of that family. Like my son is nine. He watches YouTubers. he plays Roblox. Um, we've got systems in place where, we don't allow him to do any microtransactions in Roblox but he like part of his money is that he can buy a prepaid Roblox card and how he spends his money in that is entirely on him so i felt like what we were getting from that was really small snippets of what a family had trying to do in combating gaming as part of their their overall lives but they didn't allow the family to kind of speak a little bit more about how they manage it and what, what the positives they do as a family around it. But you could see that it was all there because they all love it and they've all got these amazing setups. I was jealous of half of that. <laughs> <laughs> I work in the games industry. Like, so, um, yeah, it was, I, I just found that to be a really interesting way to start it. And in, in, it spoke a little bit about the show had a very specific narrative in mind that maybe they didn't know how to how to address
4: yeah, I don't know and- about that. I don't know if they had a specific narrative in mind. I don't think I- there was like an anti-gaming agenda.
3: I think the last story, the way they wrapped it up, and I felt Ron Curry got thrown a little bit under the bus towards the end there as well.
4: <laughs> well, I, I don't think so. Like, I mean, I've heard people saying that the IG- IGEA was taken out of context. I don't think so. I think they got across what they wanted to say. They gave their little Kinder Surprise analogy, which is terrible. And they've been saying that for quite a long time. So that's that's pretty much their message. Um, what I you know, I kind of laughed at the photo that they used, the still image at the start, which you know, <laughs> that was a little bit of a supervillain kind of.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it was the others, it was uh, it was like some footage that you know they were sitting still for a piece of footage, and then yeah. he, he did get quite a concerned looking supervillain image.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the things that he actually said, I mean, that's pretty much their message. So um, you know, I was. I've I've been listening to IGEA what they've been saying on issues of loot boxes for years and this is pretty much what I expected. So uh, you know they they said they're going to come out with a statement today and they felt that they were taken out of context as well. So uh, I don't I haven't seen that yet. Uh, but when they do bring that out, I guess yeah, the statement is out there. Yep. Oh, they've done it. Yep. Okay, okay cool. I, I might I might
2: pull it up and just read it out actually because it's and yeah. Look, and I mean it was actually quite short. Um, and in that sense, I, I almost felt like you know. Based on the length of the statement, part of me just wondered if it's like, is that because, you know, the episode wasn't as problematic as they might have first thought it was going to be. And so it's kind of a relatively tight thing. I won't read it out right now, but I, I will sort of yeah, read it a little, uh, you know, for, oh Dramatid just.
3: Yeah, just read it. Yeah.
2: Sure. Um, so yeah, uh, let's see. I'll I'll skip the just the like long intro parts that just you know for decades video games have been incredibly popular. Do 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 do. Uh, implications and assumptions about games made in the four corners piece last night are unbalanced and not reflective of the overwhelmingly positive and enjoyable experience the majority of players have. When engaging with the many different kinds of games available today, they talk about the Digital Australia Research Series that they do, uh, the positives of during COVID, video games, being able to keep people connected. Um, Then they sort of talk about we are committed to being a responsible industry and all of us take seriously the role we have to play in mitigating any risk to children, vulnerable people vulnerable people and players. Our members want to be in control of the experiences that we are having and to be able to make informed choices about the games they play, how they play them, how much and whether they spend and how much time they choose to play. Uh, Then it talks to all major platforms have controls to limit spending and access to credit cards. Like a lot of... uh, I could keep going. There's not much more. I mean, they took t- the, the global video game industry has recently taken additional steps to provide transparency through the disclosure of the relative rarity and probabilities of randomized items and games. Like it is quite similar to the comments that he said in the show. Like there's not much, uh, else LC mm. there's a bunch of links to, you know, important sort of useful information for parents. Um, but I kind of did feel like it was one of the first times that I did feel like watching uh, Ron Curry speak on in a public forum like this that he was faced with a genuine challenge because it it asked him questions about some of the most difficult issues in games right now. It didn't ask him about the pure addiction stuff in the first half of the show so much. Um, it was, you know, it, it kind of it felt like he was, you know, much more... Uh, threatened by those questions around sort of, you know, what yeah. about when somebody spends this much money in a game? I think he made a reference to the idea that some games have pop-ups that ask you if you want to keep spending money.
4: And it was like, I've never seen that myself. Yeah, um, yeah some do, some don't. Yeah. Um, the so, more yeah. responsible, individually responsible ones do. But yeah, that's that's a really good point that you make. And it's something that we're all challenged with, right? Like this, this is this is finally an issue where... Uh, we're kind of in the wrong, and we have stuff to fix and so that's what he was facing and i I think this is an interesting kind of turning point not just for us, but for the i g e a because you know in in the previous fights that we were talking about uh you know the, we've we've fought alongside the i g e a because our interests aligned you know when we talk about the r eighteen fight when we talk about violence in games and all the other attacks on games uh and all the the great work that they've done with regards to their reports and stuff like that. Uh, you know, our interests have been aligned. And finally, we come across something where uh, our interests are not aligned. And the you know, over the years, there's been this sort of like idea arising that the IGEA is an advocacy group, as opposed to a lobby group. And, you know, within those questions that you mentioned last night, like, I think that's where we see that they are, in fact, a lobby group, their job is to protect their member companies. And, um, you know, their member companies make a lot of money from gambling revenue. So, uh, right now, this we're seeing them be a lobby group as opposed to an advocacy group.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites,
2: I don't want to sort of you know gloss over any of your kind of other you know negative thoughts, Steve, on sort of you know elements there. Were there other kind of aspects in that first half? I mean, look, I definitely had a big problem with Dr. Kim Lee. I think it was <laughs> um, he really. It's like he kind of served up. You know, like the knock it out of the park, please give us the, you know, the detox relapse discussions and dopamines and like a lot of those keywords that we've heard mentioned lots of times. And even the way he spoke about his own Pokemon Go addiction, um, you know, and he framed it as such. um, It was the kind of stuff where it just like... Again, I like it's more because he wasn't one of the like I never want to denigrate anybody who is willing to come forward with their story of their own troubles. I think that is, you know, that's where I'm I was a bit troubled by the way some people were dismissing, you know, the lady who said she spent four thousand dollars in a game. Um, as I was going, oh, like if I've had good fun spending four grand in a game, then that's great. And I'm like, I totally agree that if you have, in all, you know, understanding just you know, purchased on a regular basis the things you like in games you love, and over the course of a year or so spend that and you go, but I loved it. And you like great and good. But clearly a big part of her story was that she didn't realize she was doing it. She felt a commitment to the guild that she was attached to that, you know, that the triggers within the game were encouraging her to go down that path more and more. Um and there's both kind of the social pull and the game psychological pull. Like, and that is kind of again where it gets complicated. But I think sort of when there's an expert who was presenting sort of his own challenges alongside then even talking about, you know, let's sit down and play Mario Kart because this is the kind of quote was, we need to know what we're up against. Some of that was like, oh, can we we be careful of how far we're kind of kicking that can (laughs) before we then, you know, be careful about the way we're phrasing some of that.
3: Well, this was one of my initial problems with the article and some of it permeated the, the show, which was the pick and pull to get some points across. And I felt, I felt that Lee was an interesting choice. Um, and again, to your point, like nobody wants to denigrate anybody's own, own troubles and like uh, his proximity to those. And then like his profession obviously go hand in hand. So that gives him like plenty of credence to, to, um have these conversations but at the same time I felt I felt as a parent that a lot of the topical discussions of like what it means to manage screen time and game time like weren't brought into the conversation and there are negative components to those that could have that could have aligned with the overall tone of the show um so there was a little bit there and I just I felt that Lee's experience kind of kind of gave a lot of gravitas towards, like, again, I still think that there was a bit of a narrative hook to the whole thing. Um, and then I guess I had a, I had a, the biggest problem probably with Rob Lemming's experience, which was, and, you know, Jung and I had a bit of a back and forth on this on Twitter, which was using Assassin's Creed and, um, and World of Warcraft as examples of, they were examples of addiction or so-called addiction um, in his case. Um, and I think it was the the um the widow of warcraft line that was probably the strongest in terms of backing <laughs> that up um but the, and that's a classic i mean i've heard that yeah. many
2: times and again a, you know i mean not so much these days but certainly yeah that was that was a thing
3: yeah um and but like the assassins creed yeah edition just didn't it just didn't fit it didn't have a place in there whatsoever um that was reaching like i'm a completionist even after i've finished covering a game i've put over like a thousand hours into The Witcher three, and that's just on my own time. I wouldn't say I'm addicted, I just really enjoy games. That doesn't mean that Rob didn't like suffer from maybe some malaise or just I'm just gonna play this and collect this today. But that's on on him as an adult to manage. Um, but I don't want to go too far down that road because then that becomes problematic for me. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, mean, I just like, think there's
2: a whole achievement hunting version yeah. of the psychology here that is yeah, its own weird thing because you're like yep. wow should they get rid of achievements it's like that's
3: yeah, <laughs> that's, so, that's so a whole they, other thing right there's a it's a big rabbit hole like a big like a like a multifaceted burrow that yeah, we've got yeah. to be really careful of but um yeah again that just fell into the pick and pull that i didn't really agree with overall um but at the same time we do want those human stories and like getting those still gives us enough information enough ammunition to work with moving forward mm. i i in, i'm in line with you jung in saying that everything that was presented is topical and it is stuff that we need to broach. We need to discuss, we need to hold, be held accountable for. Um, but at the same time, I feel like we need to also make sure it's being presented in the right light.
4: Yeah, that might've been, I mean, the Assassin's Creed one might've been an area where it would have helped to have uh, producers who are really familiar with that. Um, I I totally take your point about the Assassin's Creed like the feather thing, the collection thing. Uh I mean I I think, I think a discussion around that type of thing needs nuance because uh certainly that kind of quest can be can be used in a negative way like it can be A part of a system that's negative. Yeah. But the act of collection itself is not inherently negative. Uh, In fact, they teach it in game design schools. It's like it's one of the many kinds of fun and it appeals to a certain kind of player. So, uh, well, it's also
3: world population. If you've got such big vistas and spaces that the art team have worked so heavily on, like, why not? guide players there so that they can get a dose of eye candy here Yeah,
2: the old i didn't even know i could get to the top of that building awesome yeah that's true yeah yeah
4: (laughs) yeah it could be a a very positive thing like that i mean ubisoft overdoes it a bit but um i actually was (laughs) making dinner while i was watching the episode so i didn't see the part about the mario kart um but if you're saying that mario kart was being given as an example of uh, one of the negative games, then I probably would disagree with that because by and large, Nintendo employs like a really wholesome, joyful kind of fun, which doesn't make use of manipulative practices. So um, yeah. Well, yeah. Just th-
3: to put it in any context, Jung, they they used the flashing lights sounds and I guess the scrolling power-ups is like uh, in concert with like a poker machine. Um, and so when you're winning, you're getting like those rewards and how they were actually quite, quite close and i hadn't really thought about that until i they brought that up and i was like actually that does sound like i'm in a in a room. (laughs) someone's having a a successful slap
2: well (laughs) i kind of remember yeah like watching that moment and thinking well yeah here's this is actually the part of the story where it points to what poker machines have and continue to learn from video games you know like that it's the you know the kind of beautiful tones that nintendo created you know on its earliest consoles in the way it sort of you know made the noises and the and the fun hits and the pleasant background music that is exactly the stuff that then you know headed to poker machines rather than you yeah. know like and then there's other lessons that and <laughs> that you know the video games have learned back in the other direction Absolutely. Um, but yeah that was a moment where because it, it was talking about how uh, that uh psychiatrist um Was teaching other people, other kind of therapists about, you know, how to do like, you know, therapy sessions for people who are addicted to games. And it was that thing, yeah, where it was just like, like he's sitting them down to play Mario Kart because they need to know what they're up against. And you're like, hmm, this is a weird, Mm. you know, this. I, I would have vastly preferred if actually there was. Like, in the context of focusing this episode, and actually one thing that, uh, you know, I'll suggest, but I have no, you know, real insight on, was because I did meet with uh, Lucy back uh, when she was researching this over the summer, um, after the, yeah, after that initial call out, and I, you know, complained about it online, um, and, you know, she did sort of say, can we have a coffee and share some thoughts? You know, I, from then, did feel like she was pretty focused on what was in the second half of the episode, Right. My grasp on, you know, when you then think of, okay, you know, she's the journalist producing the episode in large part, but then that still has to go through the senior channels of how, you know, this gets t- turned into a 40 minute episode. I get that feeling that, you know, some of those extras that were in that first half that were about the broader questions of addiction and things were almost part of that. Well, we, you know, we've got to tick those boxes and it's like well those boxes have been ticked in the past but a producer is like no we you know we need that in the episode um and once we sort of got that out of the way and then it really did get to i think the the stronger part that i'm like i wish there was more of that i wish there was more of that interview with and i can't i'm i can't pronounce his surname but you know the the guy who did that presentation, you know, online, I thought it was great. Oh,
4: yeah, it was great that they got him. Yeah. That was a really good guy,
2: yeah. Yeah. The fact that it's such a notorious presentation at a game development conference about how to, you know, what was it, hook? Uh, mm. the thri- let's was, go whaling, I think it was. Yeah, let's, go yeah, let's go whaling. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I thought it was kind of great that they, hook, habit, hobby, that were the three words, yeah. Um. I mean, I thought it was hilarious that they even had, like, the Asmongold and the Rod telling uh, <laughs> yeah, elements they, they attached to it. They put the F
4: word live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this guy doesn't give a... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought, yeah, it was great that they got him. And in that sense, I'm like, man, I would have loved to have heard a couple more minutes of his thoughts on oh, that yeah.
4: because it's, it's kind of you know, yeah yeah and it's you know i've been at gdc a few times and there's been a few talks that j- just seem straight up evil i was happy in that like section of the show i was really happy with some of the b-roll that they used um i was happy that they used like some footage from nba 2k yeah um some some of the aspects that don't even try to veil how much like gambling they are because i've i've long felt even like counter-strike like counter-strike's uh skin choosing system is just straight up roulette You know, it's just not even trying to hide it. Yeah. Yeah, totally.
2: Um, Look, I think, yeah, we've talked a lot about a lot of stuff. Are there any other key thoughts that each of you want to share? And then I will check if anybody wants to kind of, you know, uh, chime in via the the spaces.
3: Nothing for me. I feel like we've probably covered off where we all sit with it. Um, I know we don't entirely agree 100% with each other, but that's good. Um, It's like obviously good for conversation. Um, I, I think from a closing point of view, I just want, I want more, more content like this, but I want it done in a way, sorry, that's my team's just yelling at me. <laughs> um, but I want it done. I, I think a little bit more with a bit more education from the producers and writers of these types of things. Um, and, and then hopefully we just present it in a, in a better light, not so much to uniformly like have positives in gaming because that's what a lot of the gamers are yelling about it's not what i'm yelling about it's like the representation of games in general and like games the games are evil thing is still that there was a little line of that like riddled throughout and yeah there are evil things in games but we need to be careful how it, how it gets um delineated
4: yeah yeah i i feel like i was really happy with um like a few, of the, there's a few people in the show that I hadn't heard of before. There was uh, one of the streamers. I thought she um, had some really good points. I was happy with that. Uh there's one of the professors who had some really good points. I was happy with that. Um, I was, you know, by and large, I think it's just a great start. I'm happy we're talking about the right things. I, I also want more. I also want it to be more nuanced. I think this just serves as a good jumping off point. Uh, yeah. I want more of these discussions. I'm glad it's in the mainstream. Um, we can now, uh, as people who are, you know, steeped in this we can try to lead the discussion a little bit um so let's let's by all means do that let's add the nuance to it and uh, I think you know it's also going to take a little bit of um and I'm sad to say it but a little bit of uh asking the IGEA to do better with regards to uh, talking about loot boxes and stuff like that because I was personally quite disappointed um with their defenses of it and insistence that it's not gambling which um you know I, if you look at the comments from gamers on any any sort of article about uh loot boxes or even on the Four Corners episode, gamers don't like loot boxes. They see right through it. They know it's gambling. Uh, so there, you know, there's no there's no pro consumer version of a loot box. Like you're always better having bought the item. They implement these systems because it gets more money out of you. And um I think, you know, gambling I'm pretty hardline that gambling has no place in games unless it's regulated in some way. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in the IGEA about that. Um, but other than that, it was really positive showing. And um, yeah, I think it's okay to have a show that's it's about the negative elements of the industry. The ABC, I mean, you know, the, over the years, they've done a lot for gaming. They've done a lot to sing the praises of gaming and all its positives. Uh, it's it's totally okay for this one thing to be about the darker side.
2: Mm. And, uh, you know, I think um, there was a lot... Um, the fact that I've seen... A genuine split in reactions, I think is one of the real positives, like that from within gaming, you know that that again sort of following the the hashtag last night that I felt like there was a solid split of opinions on on whether it, overall it was you know it was well done or if it was too negative that the fact that it rode that line of it didn't upset everybody. It but it could it could never please everybody, but it didn't upset everybody. Like it it I think sat in an interesting space that we have been wanting, you know, in, in these discussions. So I definitely, yeah, took that away as a positive. And and I think, as you say, I think I think IGEA, it's probably the first time I really felt like they were a bit flat footed in the response to it because, you know, the questions are legitimate concerns about the games industry and as a as a body that represents its members which are major games publishers um it's a real point of tension there and i guess even off the back of part of me wondered you know off the back of the merger with the gdaa last year i feel like there might be actually some internal friction around questions like this you know the fact that there'd probably be a lot more indies who are trying to kind of strive for you know the more positive side of gaming and i could imagine some of them saying really is that what the group that represents us is planning their flag on right now. Uh, clearly most of the money comes from the bigger publishers, um, but I can imagine that's an interesting point of debate internally there now.
4: Yeah, even just within the IGEA, I mean, even before the merger, um, you know, I heard comments to the effect of like, you know, we, we get pressured by publishers and we have to um, sort of let them know what the public perception of this is. Like we have to sort of act as a buffer and say, look, you know, the loot boxes are not exactly popular right now, so let's, slow down and think about this. Um, so yeah, I've, um, I'll be, I'll be writing a little bit about that. Um, I've got a piece uh, coming up on power up about that. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely, there, there absolutely is that friction and it's, it's kind of weird. You know, I've seen like three years ago, I feel like, like the, the most defensive reaction I've seen so far comes from the dev community. And three years ago, I feel like the devs would have been a lot more open to talking about this stuff. You know, I feel like the the Facebook conversations and the in-person conversations that I would have at the IGDA meetups and stuff, uh, people were a lot more open about this stuff and a a lot more matter-of-facts about, like, yes, it exists. Yes, it needs to be talked about. Uh, So something's changed between now and then. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but, uh, you know, emotions are running high. People are getting defensive about uh, how gaming is being represented. I, I don't know if it's just our defense mechanism kicking in, and in the same sense that, you know, as media, we have that mechanism as well, or if it's something else, but uh, we seem to want to put our heads in the sand now.
2: Yeah. Um, look, uh, if you are listening on Twitter Spaces right now, and you did have something you wanted to share and, and and chime in and ask a question or share a comment, then there's, I think there's a button that you can press to request uh, to join the stage. So feel free to hit that. And then I'm just going to throw in another two cents worth while I see if anybody uh, did want to share something but it was yeah a comment that my wife raised at the end of the episode yesterday and i know it's something she's often kind of had a bit of a you know an issue with and it's kind of in a broader arts context actually you know games being part of the world of arts is that the use of the word escapism and you For know sure. that idea that it's like oh it's an escape from real life it's an escape this that the other uh that and again, it's like in no way, it's not even really part of the whole thing of you know, we give ourselves excuses, but rather it's like that idea that actually somehow you know, games and the wider arts, movies, TV, all kinds of you know, just awesome artistic pursuits. always considered to be part of this other space (laughs) and if you spend too much time in it then it might mean that you're trying to avoid the rest of your life um as opposed
4: to a choice of what you want to do with your time yeah Yeah.
2: and then it's like no one calls sport an escape you know like and yet there are many people who would effectively be considered addicted to sport because of how much time they devote outside of their working hours to you know if there's a sports game on they have to watch it if like there's you know how much money they spend on jerseys and all the rest <laughs> Steve or got his hand up. <laughs> <laughs> um but like that's just not even ever a discussion like no one would ever accuse that of being an escapist act mm. um and and again you know like going to the gym or you know like there's so many things where it's like it's something exclusively pointed at the arts as a thing that you know oh well are you sure you're not just trying to escape something because you love that thing so much <laughs> and it's like maybe yeah. it's just that it's awesome
4: you know, yeah, as as the comedian said. <laughs> yeah. So look, uh, Woody Woo,
2: who uh, is you know a great member of the esports industry here in Australia, he has put his hand up. So I'm going to join him in. Um, and then if you, it says he's connecting. I've seen times where at this moment spaces literally just then crashes on that person and they disappear. But I think he's That's here, right. Woody. How are you? Uh,
0: hello. Can everyone hear me?
4: <laughs> I can hear you.
2: Yes. yes
0: can hear you. It worked. Perfect. Uh, no, so great chat. Um, I think, yeah, that's an interesting thing you mentioned there in the two cents in terms of like what's escapism and what's not, I think the flip side to that is also um, many people who go to the gym or play sports would, would admit themselves that they they want to go to the courts or they want to hit the gym just to escape, just get some peace. <laughs> um, but it's seen from society as kind of productive and, you know, good for you. So there isn't as much focus on that. Um, what I wanted to say though was just around the loot box stuff. I think that's probably one of the most important and interesting discussions in game development right now. Um, uh, and and specifically around you know in my in my eyes, coming from kind of League of Legends and esports perspective, yeah. um, how we think this discussion could or would impact you know training card games, especially the physical ones um, around the booster packs and whatnot. Uh, but also if we should have a differentiation amongst loot boxes when it comes to uh in-game content that actually affects power and gameplay quality versus just cosmetics yeah
2: Yeah. so yeah we did talk a bit about it uh like earlier on in the in the thing but i think there's definitely a lot of nuance there to be explored when it comes to um you know like one of the things that you know that jungles mentioned earlier was that idea of the way that they're presented is almost uh, one of the critical issues in the in the psychological sense. So it's like, yeah, um, yeah. what is it? The
4: aesthetics it? of gambling are just as important as the mechanics of gambling. Hmm.
2: So I think there's definitely some questions there. I mean, actually, it's funny, I noticed, because I mentioned Hearthstone in sort of the, this this trading card versus digital trading card context as well. And one thing I noticed is that they've just announced in the latest patch, they're releasing a new system where you can just buy a pre-made deck that is ready to play based on, you know, the latest meta and it'll work pretty well and it's like another one of those i think just interesting ways of for them kind of testing out that sense of going yeah maybe we need more of those options where it's like here is the deck list that you are going to buy you know that's the price of the deck list yep you know they they've always been happy to edit and change the way that the cards work um you know based on keeping the game balanced but again there's a clarity to that when it's not just kind of going Buy 20 random packs and good luck. You know, this is a case of saying, okay, you you want to buy a hunter deck. Here's the deck list. You can buy this hunter deck. Um, That kind of option in the mix starts to feel a a lot more, there's a lot more clarity attached to that um, than, yeah, the randomization systems that are out there.
4: Mm. I think think we saw like... um uh, I'll just make a, a quick point, and then I'll let you. Go the, you know, with Battlefront Two, we saw yeah. the, the worst side <laughs> of this, right? Like why uh, loot boxes that affect your actual power in a game. You know, it's a little bit different from talking about trading card games, where it's like just getting different options. Like you should be able to get every option as opposed to, but like in a trading card game or you know in Hearthstone, like you can't buy a card that is literally more powerful than the other person's card that was free. So, but, yeah. you know, Battlefront Two kind of showed us like the the, the worst side of that. And I think that has no place in competitive gaming whatsoever. Uh, single player gaming, a little bit different, but I'm sorry, Steve, you go ahead.
3: No, you basically touched on what I was going to uh, bring up, which is the competitive gaming side of stuff in eSports being the juggernaut that it continues to be now. Um, and loot boxes sort of being this um an front in many ways to so many aspects of gaming. Um, it almost feels like they're at, well, it is that they're at complete odds with each other. Um, I mean, you know, a football a professional football player wouldn't want to have to try and buy into his own pair of boots in order to get a leg up over the competition on, on a sports pitch. It's a silly, very, very silly off the top of my head um, reach. But um, in many ways, I think if we want to be taken um, seriously, especially from a competitive gaming perspective, the loot box thing is definitely something that needs to be addressed alongside that, probably more specifically.
2: So you can also you can think back to remember the Adidas Predator boots when they were first being made, uh, the fact that they would help curl the ball a lot more in football, and there was a yeah whole debate over whether they were performance enhancing boots. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and they were uh, very. Played I think I think because it was uh, I think Craig Johnson, the Aussie footballer, was involved with the development, and I think he initially thought of it as a way to train someone to curl the ball better. And then in the end, rather than being this kind of cheap training tool, they became really expensive boots because
4: they were too good. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure there's some some pay to win elements. I mean, some sports are just harder to play unless you have money, right? Like yeah. I mean, NFL, he, NHL.
2: I think here's a good example of something that you know didn't really get touched in the episode, but might have been a good counterpoint. But I also kind of I get that a show like that. I'm I imagine their argument would be like it's not. For us to point to the solutions but an int- you know i guess if there was less of the the middle you know the first half and more of the second half there might have been space to look at you know how new mechanics are being introduced in games like battle passes and different systems where it's like here's the thing you've paid for here's the you know the reward track and the way in which your effort will now lead to success and then you could even within that debate like there's still mechanics here because, you know, you have to kind of get over certain hurdles and that's now going to mean you need to put the time in for the window of time until that battle pass concludes. Mm. But that, again, it's like, there's a great debate point there of going, it's clearly a vastly more positive reward schedule than randomized kind of stuff because you know what you're working towards and you know that, you know, the achievement systems and things can help you unlock things along that path but that there are then questions of going where are people potentially starting to even push the battle pass type systems into areas that mean like, well, like you said with Battlefront, right? That it's like actually, oh, you could grind your way there. And it's like, is there enough time in the universe for me to grind my way there? I'm yeah. Let me try to calculate yeah.
3: that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So then we go back to farming and then things like that. So uh, pff, oh.
2: Siri just decided it was an interesting question. Oh, thanks, Siri. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Um yeah look uh Woody uh, yeah did you have any other thoughts on that one or did we touch on yeah the the bit that you were thinking about
0: Yeah yeah 100% I think there's just two things to touch I wanted to just add in there yeah. one is I think the the Hearthstone example I didn't know they were adding uh pre-made decks that's a really great move um I think when when I come from kind of riot games and the cosmetic only option, the the way they used to talk about it internally um from a player focused perspective in terms of adding in they added in Hex Tech chests, which were a, a variation of loot boxes. Um, their idea was essentially: you can still buy direct content skins, um, but you know, or or you can uh, or you can give up some of that agency and and buy a loot box, and it's a bit cheaper. But you know, it's a faster way potentially to unlock everything. Um, so that's one thing. And then, yeah, in terms of like esports versus. Um, Esports versus like loot boxes and pay to win. I think there's definitely at odds, and the the worst offenders right now are the sports. Some games, FIFA, Madden. I um, mean, oh, yeah. we're trying to trying to do both.
4: Hundred percent agree. Yeah, I've I've long had a big big problem with Ultimate Team. Yeah. and you know um when we talk about like esports and trading cards and stuff like that, like you know a little while ago, like I listed all the reasons why loot boxes are not trading cards and are not Kinder Surprise and stuff like that, but uh, when we consider regulation and when we consider like what we call gambling from a, a legal standpoint and a regulation standpoint, you can't affect one without the other. So that discussion needs to be really nuanced and it's going to be really difficult because currently the definitions of gambling are, I mean, I've, I've had a look uh, country to country and it's quite common for the legislation to mention the names of specific games. So like in Australia and the UK and in America and different States, they, they call out specific names like poker machines, blackjack, roulette, uh, things like that. So, uh, currently there's no like broad definition of what gambling is. It's just specific names of things. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, it's like, how do you, uh, how do you sort of account for loot boxes without affecting things like, trading cards and kind of surprise because you, you, you almost have to like, like, where do you draw the line? Um, yeah. So that's, that's going to be a difficult. I don't have the answer to that one, um, but uh, it's going to have to be a super nuanced, intelligent, difficult conversation that we do have to have in the future.
3: Well, I mean, it's probably in a rear its head quite quickly because the whole NFT world is jumping in on this as quickly as possible um, where yeah. um, that, you know, it, like people are buying into a lot of random, like collectible things in, in collectible ARs. digital horse yeah.
2: racing, right? Again, yep. where it's there's a randomized element to whether the, the horse that you've bought as an NFT is any good or not. You know, yeah,
4: <sighs> yeah. Wow, I'm I'm glad I haven't <laughs> dived into this. into this. <laughs> oh man, I'm it's glad a, this is a field I'm kind of ignorant of. <laughs> yeah, that's it's
3: awesome. a loot Pandora's box. That one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, Look, uh, Woody, thanks so much for your time there. When they mentioned the kid and the desire for the 50,000 Robux um, hat, you know, it was the kind of thing where I'm like, here's another little nugget that could have been dug into on that that influencer culture around that sort of stuff as well, right? Where it's like, did the guy actually, you know, did he even buy the hat or did Roblox kind of, you know, seed some... Robux to a bunch of influencers to encourage you know them to wear the cool stuff so that then their fans are desperate to own the stuff yeah. that actually costs hundreds of dollars. You like that? Yeah. Too, but-
4: Outright gambling companies reaching out to streamers as well. Like I heard XQC was just straight up playing a gambling game and the gambling company gives them – a certain amount of money to play with. I think they release about $5,000 at a time. And if they win money, they get to keep like a quarter of the earnings. If they lose yeah. money, they're they're not actually losing their own money. But it seems like they're playing with their own money. Yeah. So, um, cool. you know, just his, the act of him playing it has a whole bunch of other people playing it. Yeah, that's messy.
2: Again, there's sort of some of those kinds of questions um, that popped up along the way that I'm like, oh, like they could have won back that kind of extra five or 10 minutes. Across the show, that then might have created that space for just that little bit more nuance. And right, but that's, I mean, again, that's what I think we're in a good place when we're debating issues of nuance rather than we can dismiss this whole thing because once again, it totally missed the mark and it's worrying about things that we all worried about 10 years ago. And there are now some very clear ways that you can, you know, educate parents on the critical issues related to those themes. And you know, the rating system is there for a reason and all those, all those kinds of things. Um, And I think
4: you, both of you are great in terms of like, I mean, the, you you both sing the praises of just playing games with your kids and talking with your kids about games. It's a super important uh point that um that a lot of people need to hear. So I'm glad that both of you are out there making that point.
3: It really surprises me actually how many parents just aren't aware of super um trapdoors that kids can really easily fall through. Um and it was one of the things that really jumped out at me because I have a big problem with my son going too deep onto YouTube and following specific YouTubers. Um, because he's nine. He's super impressionable. He's very aspirational. And these guys, like when he does his, his YouTuber voice around the house, we pull him up like, come on, man, stop it. You're not American. <laughs> What's his YouTuber
4: voice? <laughs>
3: oh, it's horrendous. <laughs> um, right. um, but, but he, like he, he's got a, like just a, a heart of gold where it comes to, I just want to talk about games like they do, but he doesn't understand that there's a lot of subtlety yeah. that's coming from a lot of these guys. And I had some issue where, you know, like, there might be some streamers that make money from kids watching and then wearing hats like that. And so kids are buying into that. So that sort of bleeds into microtransaction territory as well. Yeah. The, I mean, um, in,
2: in some respects, I even felt like, you know, if if the core of the story had started with the microtransactions, you can actually, within that context, talk a little bit about some of those addictive elements that are attached to sort of, you know, keeping someone coming back and giving them something for free now and then if they've you know been out of the, especially in the mobile app space, right? The old like, oh, well we can pop up a notification and give them like some free currency to get them to come back in um, and, you know, like create those cycles when someone has even made the effort to try to get out of the cycle. Like there's, Really, kind of great elements within that. That if if the starting umbrella had like really clearly right at the start focused on the whole question of you know in-app purchases and predatory pricing type stuff, that you could have still had some of those very traditional addiction you know trigger points. Um, but within the kind of this more modern debate over how these things are working, I think I guess you know how do we encourage the conversation to continue forward from here because the classic issue, of course, with this is that it's a singular drop um, and then it just kind of, you know, like, and then it's if someone says, oh, now you should do another episode about this, the classic executive producer thing is usually that, oh, yeah, we already talked about that. We talked about that like six months ago. Therefore, we've done it. And you're, yeah, like, you're not going
4: to get a second bite of the cherry for a long time. Yeah, yeah. at least not on Four Corners. Like maybe one of the yeah. other programs.
2: Yeah, um, you know. So I guess what's what are other positive mainstream discussion points out there, or is this pretty much one of those times where you're like, well, it's not going to appear on commercial TV. It's not going to appear in so many other places. You know, is it essentially that we're having one of those moments where it's like, well, yeah, you know, Iger do dodged that bullet for now and. You know, we'll wait until some politician actually brings it up um, and gets more serious about it, you know, because it was only a Greens guy on that episode. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Liberal or Labor. So we're probably okay for now. Like, Mm -hmm. what do we we think?
4: Yeah. Overseas, I think there's going to be, I mean, Australia is very slow with everything, but overseas uh, progress is probably going to be made a lot quicker and that will in turn sort of prompt people locally to ask, well, what are we doing about this? Um, I think that's, that's the way it's going to go. I think, you know, I don't know. I've, I've never been sort of like, I mean, there, there's been a couple of labor um, politicians who have done streams with the IGEA and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's out there. I think there, there might be some, like I'm not completely down on mainstream media in terms of covering games. There are positive examples of it. Obviously there's so many examples of them uh, taking a really a cynical angle um, but there are also positive ones as well. You get, you get, you do get stories about gaming's positives in the media too, about its ability to heal and persuade and educate and everything else. Um, I think that we'll we'll probably see more of that. So I'm not too worried about the wider sort of general coverage that gaming is going to get in Australia. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's something that will kind of fix itself.
3: There's probably um, a decent conversation that goes on in the background and probably needs to be had maybe post this from um, the indie devs in Australia specifically because a lot of like um, up-and-coming studios or individual developers might look to those monetary kind of tricks of the trade, so to speak, to gain a foothold in in their development life or, you know, career post, you know, first release or whatever. So there's probably a big conversation about like – like design morality versus you know being able to make money and and capitalize on a system that's in place right now. So there's there's plenty to to delve into there that I think could gain traction.
4: Yeah, yeah there's some discussions that I heard at um, GDC that we you know there were specific roundtable discussions about this type of thing, and you had a wide range of opinions. And those from you know, uh, I interviewed one guy who quit his company because he was unhappy with the ethical practices happening there. And uh, you know, ranging all the way to another guy who, in the discussion, was just saying, "Can we just take a more capitalist view on this like let's do what it takes uh so yeah within within the dev community there's um there's a lot of uh friction around that, and I think you know i I guess like I don't know there's so many positive examples and negative examples like you know I think about the crossy road devs and i'm i'm really like I'm really happy that they do things like in Crossy Road, limiting everything to $1. Uh, So therefore not taking advantage of any whales. Um, But on the other hand, they don't consider uh, like their, their view on loot boxes a little more relaxed than mine. So, you know, this, yeah, it's not binary at all. There's so many, there's a big range of opinions and a big discussion to be had in the future. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Look, Steve, junglers thank you both so much for your time i think it's been a really interesting chat it's been a long one hopefully when people tune into this in its podcast version uh they don't get scared off by the uh the long runtime before they download it <laughs> um i'll make sure and promote it well and point out this is a bloody important conversation and um thanks yeah to to woody for his thoughts sorry that <laughs> liv's headset uh must have crashed or something um but yeah, I guess in the podcast sense, thanks everybody else out there for listening. And uh, obviously, you can catch a lot more of this stuff on ByteSide. Remember to check in on OzGamers. Um, and I guess I'll give you both that chance. Yeah, uh, you know, Steve, uh, what are the best places to find you and the things you create?
3: Uh, yeah, just pretty much OzGamers um, which I co manage with Costi uh, Andriatis, who is, I think, the country's best hardware tech reporter. Um, and I also do uh, quite a lot of stuff with uh, with Red Bull. So Red Bull Games is an actual destination with actual articles that are relatively fun and in-depth and and worth, uh, worth looking into. It's not just about energy drinks. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can find me hovering around those parts. Otherwise, I'm just here and there.
4: Awesome.
2: And Jeremy, where can people find your stuff?
4: Uh, mostly I've been writing some esports content for a UK outlet called Deserto, which is spelled D-E-X-E-R-T-O, uh, mostly writing stuff for their YouTube channel about Counter-Strike, um, uh, pro Counter-Strike. And uh, I've got an article coming up on uh, Power Up. Um, that's about it these days. Occasionally do some stuff still for fandom. But um, yeah, you can catch me on The Junglist on Twitter, I guess. Cool.
2: Um, I think tomorrow my plan is to try to get an article up that relates to this. And it's it it was kind of already simmering away, but it's related, which was... Trying to kind of, you know, opine out the whole question of instead of thinking about what we play as much as how we play and why we play, that um, that's kind of a bit of a debate I've been having with with my own kids. You know, that question of are you just kind of killing time on the surface or are you, you know, getting into the deep stuff? Kind of like where I think you know esports kind of such a powerful space because. And encourages you to really pursue excellence, not just.
4: Is, is it escapism, Seamus? Is it? Is
2: it... <laughs> you know, it's okay sometimes. It's you okay. need to find
3: that hidden feather. That's that, it. On yeah. On yeah. that tree I'm, I'm just feather gaming
2: right
4: now. I'm purely feather gaming yeah. right now. Feather I mean,
2: gaming. I'm gonna go escape by like running ten kilometers this afternoon. Uh, you know, in a nearby park.
4: That's a real escape. <laughs> if you get ten miles away, that qualifies <laughs> as an escape.
2: It's literally an escape. Thanks again so much. Uh, and we'll catch you all again real soon.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.